0: It's that time again boys and girls episode 87 of the development health podcast is live we won an award for being the best php podcast in 2016 and if you think i'm never gonna get tired of saying that you'll be wrong so here we are recording on the uh, 22nd of january 2017 uh don't worry no politics on this edition after all we're uh comedy podcast about technology There's, thank god yeah that's right man political podcasts they're just like they're making making hay while the sun shines as the old uh, ancient expression goes
1: i don't know while the sun shines what does that mean
0: making hay while the sun shines you don't know that expression
1: i'm trying to break it down
0: all right so let's break it down before we get into other stuff so a couple things here you know what hay is right
1: uh cocaine
0: no <laughs> no i <laughs> am no. What do you mean cocaine? It's dried grass.
1: Oh uh, oh you mean actually hay, yes. yes. Okay, I'm familiar with it.
0: <laughs> Man, I don't know what the hell they got what the dealers are selling down in Pawnee, but if I'm buying hay, I'm not thinking that it's gonna be it's gonna be cocaine. You get um,
1: some horse and you get some hay. Oh, I don't understand oh, okay. what it, oh All right. well I thought mm-hmm. I thought it
0: was horse because the H, the alliteration thing. Horse being heroin, yes?
1: Yeah, probably. Right. Yeah. Anyway,
0: so making hay while the sun okay. shines. Of course. That means you, to make hay, you cut all sorts of grass and you lay it outside in the sun so it dries. So it's an expression that means when the conditions are perfect, you should be just working the shit out of it. So making hay while the sun shines. Because once the sun don't shine, you can't make hay. So hay with the idea of making money or whatever it is, the thing that you do. So making hay while the sun shines. Expression meaning when conditions are right, you should be riding that thing until it rains.
1: Okay, I guess that's all right.
0: This is not some Canadianism or anything like that either, so it's not like
1: I don't know about that.
0: Not like me arguing about whether I say a boot or about. It's not the same thing.
1: Well, I know what you should be saying.
0: Anyway, episode 87. Mr. Finkler, how are you?
1: Episode 87. I
0: know you're excited because you just uh, bought 50
1: cents worth of electronics
0: for $72 on eBay.
1: Yeah, I bought a Commodore Plus 4. Uh, Are you familiar with that computer? I am not. It was, uh, it's funny because when in the early days of personal computers, there was often people didn't necessarily think that backwards compatibility mattered all that much. Now, I think to us this seems sort of ludicrous. Like, uh, wouldn't you want, like, a new computer to come out that runs all the same shit as your old computer? And you eat my cock, breaking all Zs in there. Are you even listening to me?
0: Yes, Mr. Finkler, I can hear you.
1: Okay. Um... Yeah, anyway, you'd think this is ridiculous because you'd be like, well, people want to buy a new computer. They think that that computer should run the same. Like, it runs the old stuff, too, that you already want to run, but just, like, maybe a little bit faster, you know? That is not what they did, uh, necessarily. Um, For example, the Commodore PET, which was the first uh, Commodore computer, and then the VIC-20. And the Commodore 64, none of them could play each could run each other's software. None of them. Uh, the the VIC and the PET uh, and the Commodore 64 actually were pretty similar architecturally, but they could not. That was not like thought of as an important thing. So Commodore was particularly successful with the Commodore 64, which I think still to this day is the number one selling computer ever. Um, really, I believe so. Let me. Make sure I'm not completely full of it. Uh, but no, no, I no, It's okay, that. though, Ed.
0: We're, we're in a post-fact society now, so continue.
1: I know. This is my alternate fact. Um, it is listed in the... I'm reading from Wikipedia. It is listed in the Guinness World Records as the highest-selling computer model of all time with independent estimates placing the number sold between 10 and 17 million units. So, yes, Wikipedia is fake news, but... That is, uh, so, you know, Apple has never, like, of a single model, I think you have to keep in mind. It's like, you know, each MacBook, I don't know how many MacBook Pros they've sold, but, you know, MacBooks or whatever. But a single model of a computer selling that many units, that's a lot of units, right? That's plenty. That is. Um, Well, the jokes aren't as good that you keep just typing in here uh, instead of saying them out loud so that everyone can hear them. Uh, the people listening are gonna be very confused by this. And I'm not ruining them, I'm acknowledging them that this is what's going on. Anyway. Well, okay, so there had been no backwards compatibility at, at Commodore, and so they released a couple new computers, again, both extremely similar, very, very similar to the Commodore 64. They all they both use the same 6502 processor. Uh, but there were some timing differences and then they didn't have the exact same like graphics chips in them or sound chips, things like that. And they're just kind of like, well, people need computers, right? So they would just kind of ship them. They ship them out. And there were two models that actually got released. It was the Commodore 16 was one, which was kind of like a Commodore 64, but only had 16 K of Ram. And the idea was it was going to be cheaper, and also didn't run any of the software the Commodore 64 did. Uh, also, then there was the Commodore Plus Four, a computer that, um, in some ways, you might might have been more powerful than the Commodore 64. Had some had this uh, built in software in ROM, like a word processor and a couple other things. Um, also did not run Commodore 64 software. Uh, both of these computers sold. Quite poorly in comparison to Plus Four in particular, they had to discount dramatically uh, to get that off the shelves. Um, and then the then Commodore did create the Commodore 128, which was a Commodore. It was it it had Commodore 64 compatibility where you could boot it into Commodore 64 mode, which ass, essentially made it a Commodore 64 would run the same processor had the access the same chips. They in fact I had read a bunch about it uh, in this in the a pre-release of this awesome book called Commodore the Amiga Years because the 128 came out during the time of the Amiga while well, the Amiga was being pr- uh, ramped up for production. And the 128 they spent a, had to do a bun- a bun- they had to spend a lot of time introducing bugs into it to replicate behavior of the commodore 64. The 64 was like thrown together pretty quickly and had a lot of like goofy stuff going on in it. And to make it fully compatible with the 64, they had to intentionally make it worse than it was. Um, like they had 64 bit 64 commodore 64 compatibility but didn't have all the like broken stuff that people expected so it like certain things would just not function correctly because of that like some programs wouldn't run on it and things like that so again they had to essentially kind of break it to make it work they had to reintroduce the bugs that were in there and then it had a one commoner 128 mode uh, uh which could could run a, a 40 column or an 80 column screen it had a newer basic a much better uh, version of Microsoft basic in it um, did a bunch of other stuff much better uh, and had 128 K of Ram in it. And then it also had a CPM mode where you could run CPM software with it. Um, and I n- never saw anybody do it. What ended up being the case uh, is that people primarily just ran C- Commodore 64 software on it because, that was kind of what they wanted to do. There was some one stuff that took advantage of the 128, but I don't know that there was ever say I think there were a couple of games maybe that would take advantage of it. A couple of Infocom games, and I think that was about it. Uh there basically was no and games were really what sold the Commodore 64. So intelligently, Commodore decided that for the Commodore 128, they should stop making games internally and just like gave up on that, and everybody else also gave up on it, and did not make Commodore one twenty eight games. They all just made sixty four stuff. The sixty four kept selling. One twenty eight was moderately successful, um, but it was the last eight bit uh, that the that Commodore released. Uh, they uh, went all in on the Amiga after that. Although they did also make some PC clones. Uh, and were relatively successful, particularly in Germany, as a PC clone manufacturer. Fun fact.
0: Amongst many fun facts.
1: Yes, would we like to get to the sponsors now? Yeah, go for it, man. Okay. Uh, well, we got uh, three-ish sponsors uh, today, uh, and they're sponsors you're going to be familiar with. One, their network is one of them, and uh, WDN... Uh, supports you by traveling you around. I think that my understanding now, I have been uh, looking over the website. I've been making plans uh, to do this. I believe with a membership, you get to fly for free to up to uh, 200 destinations around the world. Uh, and they give you that and they give you a AMD $200 laptop. AMD based laptop and you get to look at what your website looks like in different places like Malaysia, Myanmar, Sub-Saharan Africa, Europa, the North Pole. I think they have a, a thing at the North Pole. Uh, and Canada, other in other exotic lands. Uh, I fly around do that so i just contact them and i believe that they will get you hooked up with that you get to see what your website looks like they'll tell you how fast it is things like that uh you find out hey is my website up you fly there uh, is it is it up in soviet russia let's find out take a plane and it's actually a really good deal travel wise so um now you're only allowed to be on the ground while you're looking at the uh, website. So you, you wanna be like looking at, if you wanna do more extended sightseeing, you're gonna need to carry that thing around and hope the battery lasts in that laptop. So that's Wonder Network and thank them for providing bandwidth to us. And then we got uh, the Grumpy Learning Company. Sponsor of the Grumpy Learning Channel.
0: The Grumpy Learning,
1: GLC. Yeah. Remember when TLC uh, actually had like some learning stuff on it?
0: Yeah, I do. And now it's uh, just, I don't know. It seems like every channel is de- is determined to like not deliver content related to their name anymore.
1: Right, right. Now it's like my 18,000 pound family. It, it, it turns out there's like 600 people. It actually they're very slim. Um,
0: <laughs> I normally I normally mute my mic during the during the <laughs> during the, the sponsor reads because those that, that actually a pretty good one.
1: Yeah. So uh, grumpylearning.com or grumpy-learning.com. Uh, you go there, you find out about stuff like uh, how do you write tests correctly. Do you like the new? Look- uh, do
0: you like the new look and feel?
1: Let me look at this. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm gonna label this up.
0: How silly of me to assume they actually look at my website. Oh,
1: you changed some you changed a lot of shit on here. Sir I did. Grumpy learning. I'm gonna get grumpy. Uh I think this is uh better. Yeah, this is good. Glad you like it. Yeah, completely. I'll, re- save, I, my, I completely I'll save my I save my save your save your what? My my most scathing criticism for a little bit. I like this that you got an endorsement right here from uh, Gareth Hocken. My boy, G.H. Right. It doesn't. It's the same one every time. Are you a B testing me right now?
0: No, there's only one endorsement. I'm waiting for some people who said they were going to say nice things and they haven't sent me stuff.
1: That's they they tell they just told you that that's not actually going to happen.
0: Maybe not. So this is actually the new site is actually this is the one that's running up in um, Amazon using uh, Light Sale, which is like their little like, <laughs> Light <laughs> their, their little VP, uh, their little like VPS uh, competitor type thing. So.
1: Oh yeah, so I'm trying like, to move all my stuff to Light So yeah. Uh, so yeah.
0: I, I, I tell you, it was pretty easy to set all this stuff up, and um, yeah, I just uh, I, I killed two books. I've retired them, so now I just have these two right now.
1: Kill two books with one stone. Yeah,
0: minimum viable tests and the Grumpy Programmers PHP Unit Cookbook. Those are the only two offerings right now. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so I'm formulating some plans to do uh, to turn the workshop that the uh, that was so brutally uh, terminated early by me due to lack of interest yep. to turn that actually into. Uh, video series delivered like as a drip course so you sign up and then you'll get the first video and a bunch of stuff to do and then like the next week you get a link to the next video and on and on and on like that a perpetual perpetual motion machine of uh, that funnels money into my paypal account
1: i like that i like that it funnels knowledge into your brain and it funnels money out of your wallet into grumpy's wallet
0: yeah, that's that's kind of the plan. Keep that thing going. This is helping pay my this uh Grumpy Learning pays my
1: mortgage these days, so it's pretty good. That is good. That is good. Yep. So yeah, you go check out grumpy-learn.com or com. uh and uh it's got a a fun new look and feel for the kids. Yep. Still got These kids are so violent on this minimum viable tests.
0: They're a, little, they're a little
1: out of control here. Unruly. You need to learn how to control your classroom, buddy.
0: Yeah, I know. It's it's That's why the in-person ones are so much more money. It's danger pay.
1: Yeah, understandable. Uh, our third uh, sponsor is me. Well, not really me, but it's a nonprofit that I founded, Open Sourcing Mental Illness. You can check it out at osmihelp.org, O-S-M-I-H-E-L-P. .org.
0: Otherwise known as the Edward J. Finkler Foundation.
1: You know, my middle initial is not J, and that is a different person. Uh, and it is R, if you're curious. And it's actually Roth, and I. there's a guy, an artist, who used to draw lots of like hot rod art, uh, Big Daddy Ed Roth.
0: Yes, I am familiar it, with that gentleman.
1: Okay. Some people, because for a while not intentionally i called myself in college like i would i had some signature like a sig on my usenet post that called myself big daddy ed and sometimes i actually called myself ed roth because i thought that sounded cooler and it was like a pen name it was i don't know it was stupid anyway uh some people thought i was that guy and like emailed me and were like hey are you the Big Daddy of Roth and I was like, "Oh no, not that guy!" Sorry, <sighs> it's kind of like uh, being named Michael Jordan
0: or Michael Bolton.
1: Ugh, rough. Yeah, exactly. Why,
0: why, why should I change my name? He's the guy
1: that's. <laughs> <laughs> Sucks. Uh, we will have to watch
0: yeah. that when we do the uh, when we do the big one. For those who don't know, Ed and I were talking about this beforehand. How we're, we're getting close to the hundredth podcast. So mm-hmm. one of the ideas I had I keep I keep threatening to come down to uh uh to uh Ed's home in uh um East East I, I want to pronounce this correctly. It's not Lafayette. It's
1: First it's not East, but okay. Whatever. Continue. What's east, the opposite of east?
0: Uh north. So Jesus Christ. North Lafayette.
1: Both wrong on two (laughs) accounts, both directional and pronunciation. I just
0: can't do it. I just can't do it right. It always comes out as Lafayette. Sorry.
1: You just don't say Lafayette. You just say Lafayette. Lafayette. You did it. Well, you get good boy points.
0: I get good boy points.
1: Settle down there, squirrely Dan. All right. um, I haven't done finished talking about the importance of open source mental illness. Uh, yes, we're we'll probably have a fundraiser coming up here, but uh, we're doing lots of cool stuff and to help uh, improve mental illness in the tech community for employers, employees and open source community members. Uh, we've got a bunch of resources available, free handbooks. All of our stuff is creative commons licensed. You can see talks. Uh, and uh, actually next week, um, if we get this out quickly, maybe before this comes out or maybe right after this comes out on Wednesday, we're doing this on Sunday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm actually going to be at Google in Chicago, uh, doing I'm going to be a speaker in their talks at Google series. And, uh, that'll go up on the interwebs too. So I'm doing that about, uh, open sourcing mental illness and it's all good stuff and, uh, come here. Uh, to osmihelp.org and give us some money. So thank you. Give all it, right, I'm done.
0: Give Ed some money because he needs it mm-hmm. more than I do. All
1: right, all tax deductible.
0: Yes, all tax deductible. Yes. Or well,
1: anyway, if you're in the U.S., yes, yes.
0: That's you know that's also a source of of like a bona contention for me because there are lots of good causes I would like to donate to, but it's uh, not being American. Uh, It's weird. Um, I worry about two things. Number one, I throw money in and I don't get a tax deduction. And number two, I worry about, I mean, I'm sure I'm already on a bunch of lists already, um, but Mm -hmm. I, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what type of list I end up on as a foreign, as a foreigner contributing to like social advancement and uh, causes, you know, causes like that. Right. It makes things, could make things uh, at the border very uncomfortable, especially after, before we get onto the main topic, uh, People might be aware that there was a bunch of big uh, protest rallies uh, on the weekend, and several Canadians were like, yeah, I want to go down there and support this thing. And uh, to the surprise of nobody that understands how a border crossing actually works, anyone who said that they were going down there to join the protest got sent aside for secondary screening and like searched and told, uh, yeah, no, you're not coming back. And if you try to come back uh, today, cross at any other border crossing, we'll have you arrested.
1: Some people, of course, I think the natural reaction would be like, "What the hell are you talking about?" And but I would say for any reason, if somebody's stated purpose who is who is not an, a, a citizen of a country, Correct. their stated purpose is to come in there and pro to a country that they are not a citizen of and to protest something in the country they're not a citizen of and to, to take part in protests and political protests. I don't think I'd let them in either. Yes, I know
0: because I had I got into a
1: and I'm a idea. big. I I have tons of friends who were in all these protests. I think it was great. I I I appreciate your support from outside of our country, but people that this is kind of about us, and you could protest in your country. That's fine. Yeah, but. Things get really squirrely when you start going into other people's countries and start kind of messing around and, like, protesting stuff. Yeah, cause, yes. yeah, so, like, not, yeah so not to
0: belabor it too long. But, like, I got into a Jesus. brief conversation with some people about this. And I was like uh, – people are, some people started getting indignant with me. And I'm like, hold on. So I cross the border all the time. I always have to give uh, a, a reason for my visit and where I'm going. And I said, am I – Am I shocked that people are getting turned back at the border for saying that they're coming down to protest? No. And no one should be shocked because the way things are right now, countries are very jealous of their borders. You know, the the modern nation state is like, what, 200 years old or something? So this is a relatively recent thing, right? And do I believe the borders between the US and Canada should be open? Absolutely. So much trade flows through there. It is probably in both countries' best interests to have... Uh, like an EU-style thing where Canadians and Americans can cross back and forth across the border with no problems, right? That goods yeah. and, goods uh, flow back and forth, no tariffs on things. I think that's good because I think it does benefit everybody involved. But to like to get like to get up in my face on Twitter, and I was very respectful to people about this sort of thing. I'm like, look, man, like. I, I get it. You, you don't you think this isn't cool. I said, I'm pretty sure that if Americans said they were coming up to Canada to protest uh, in a Canadian protest, I'm pretty sure the Canadian people, border people, they're going to turn you back
1: to. Oh, they tell them to get the fuck out. Yeah. I don't have the same rights because I'm not a citizen. Yeah. I don't. Yep. I have only the rights that they that I'm that are are gifted to me by the Canadian people. Yep. And one of those rights is not. I I have freedom of speech in my country, not in your country. Yeah. I have freedom yeah, of Canada, protest in yeah. my country. And not Canada, your country. Canada's free speech laws are very, very. Oh, different. and they're very different. They're very so, different yep. so, yeah. Or like, I, I can't. I can't walk into Mexico and start protesting stuff.
0: Well, you won't last very nope. long. But though, well, you, though, though you can't shot, actually literally yeah. walk into Mexico. I've done this. You do it at Tijuana, at San Diego and Tijuana. There's literally a turnstile. Because I remember years and years ago when I went down, you literally just walk through like a, like what looked to me like a subway turnstile yeah. thing. And I remember going through, I'm like, where's the border? Like where's passport control and stuff? And my uncle who has lived in Los Angeles for like 50 years just laughed at me and said, there is there is nobody stopping uh, you going into Mexico. Uh, anyway, enough, sure. uh, enough about that nonsense. Let's get on with our show. Uh, we asked people uh, earlier today. On Twitter to send us some questions. Uh, All of you suck except for two people that sent questions in. So, you know, that's true. Maybe we're never. Maybe we're not going to get voted for 2017 podcast. But come on, people, is it that hard to send us a question? Um, But we do have two questions, and we're going to see how this goes. And we have another topic in mind. uh, But somehow, I think our responses to these two questions are. We'll take up. The, the rest of our podcast Since we're already like 25 minutes in and We're trying to keep this to like an hour We're, we're doing, doing
1: important stuff So
0: our first question was from our One of our wonderful listeners and friends Who I have met in person, Ed I didn't meet him when I went to Australia To speak at PHB Australia And uh, Michael, and he's like He's waiting to find out how we're going to pronounce uh, His name It's Michael Drinda Like down under, Drinda Oi Drinda, oi Drinda Drink down. Right, false, just might. Anyway, so we're going to get on to the question. He asked us, uh, if you were not programming, what else would you have been doing? Was there a time where you didn't see programming as a career? So, Ed, I'll let you go. Oh, actually, you want to go first or you want me to go?
1: I'll go. Jigolo. Uh,
0: All right. Go ahead, Jugolo.
1: No, I'm saying that's what I would have done.
0: <laughs> you would yeah. Dude, I don't know any other way to say this. I I think that would have been a dead end career for you, bro.
1: I there's some people who desperate people. Um, excuse me for a second. I got a cough. You go ahead. So, what would I have been doing? So, hi. M- <laughs> I heard the actual kuchunk of the. Yeah, mic. sorry. I do my best. This mute button is just not quiet. I know the
0: hardware mute button is pretty brutal on the yeah, on the it Yetis. Is. All right. Uh, so um, you gave your funny answer. I will give I,
1: a, I have real answers. All but- right. I'll,
0: I'll give my sort of real answer first. So when I I'd had a computer forever, when I was a kid, I got a VIC-20 when I was like 11 years old. So like mm-hmm. this is like 34 years and counting that I've always had like a computer around. So computers were always there. When I first learned how to use them, I wasn't necessarily thinking that it was going to be a career because I had no idea that you could get paid. To write computer mm-hmm. programs. It never, I never clicked in that, you know, games that I actually spent money on and stuff were written by somebody. It just I never made the connection, like, oh, maybe I could actually
1: yeah, it's just do this do type of thing.
0: I had written programs to do all sorts of different things. I had written programs to like manage the simulation baseball leagues that I participated in, like keep track of rosters and, and trades and stuff. I wrote that stuff in Apple Basic, and then I wrote an app in Visual Basic one time to do that to do that. So the, I think the irony is when I just, when the time came for me to go to, to go to college, um, uh, I listened to my father instead of listening to myself and I went into civil engineering. My dad had been worked in the construction industry for years and years. and He's like, Oh, there'll always be jobs and blah, 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 blah. So I'm like, all right, you listen to your father. And, and, uh, I think in the end he had, he had his own motives for wanting me to become an engineer, Uh, because he had a little business on the side. And I'm thinking that he thought if I became an engineer, that would help him expand his business. So, you know, uh, unfortunately, it it didn't actually work that way. Um, You know, so it's just ironic when I chose not to go down the computer-related path, uh, it was terrible. And when I got out of school, the construction industry was, like, in this huge slump. And this is the days before the internet, so where you actually, like, had to, like, mail people your resumes to apply for jobs. Or if you were a little bit fancier, uh, throw down some uh, coins to like fax something to somebody. So I must have submitted resumes and stuff to, I think, a hundred different places in and around the Toronto area uh, for civil engineering to get a job, like any job working for them. I got one. I spent a summer working uh, for long hours for little pay, uh, creating concrete cylinders and testing asphalt and getting my foot run over by a, by a, like a curbside, like a curb making machine. Nothing happened to my foot. I was wearing.
1: Sweat. Oh, dude. Yeah. I was wearing, I actually, I was wearing I got a story belt. about that. Uh,
0: don't interrupt. And so I was,
1: uh, it was a good story. Uh,
0: you can tell it afterwards. And um, okay. uh, I worked that for, for a summer. And when that was over, I was like holy fuck I am not doing like 4 or 5
1: years of this nonsense. This is bullshit. To get in
0: to, like to just to get like a better job and then have to go and study and do the professional engineer test so I could so I could be yeah. Chris Harches yeah. uh professional engineer, you know, get the little I don't know if the designation is the same in the US but you get like Chris it, Harches. You got have a P, P Eng at the end of your name to be like professional engineer. You write an exam and everything.
1: Um Superior Stevedore. Yes, superior stevedore. <laughs> really push that box, buddy Yeah, anyway,
0: so I was like, yeah, no, this is bullshit And so um, I said, okay, I should have done what I, sh- I-, I should go and do what I, I was going to do in the first place And take um, computer science or related things at school So I went back, but the irony was science that Science isn't quotes Yeah, well, computer technology Because uh, yeah. it's basically a community college level education instead of, like, college Now there's basically no more community colleges around here They're all treated kind of the same kind of like the US system now. Uh the smaller colleges can actually do the equivalent of like um uh bachelor's degrees now. Um bachelor of arts degrees lower ones. Um they so, call it
1: a man-whore degree. Yeah, whatever. And uh, It's equivalent. Uh,
0: but I thought I was actually going to do in stuff because I really enjoyed, like, screwing around with the computer doing system-level stuff, system in stuff, setting things up and uh, configuring Apache and databases and and tinkering with the hardware and, and uh, continually compiling new versions of the Linux kernel as soon as they were available and all that kind of, like, pseudo. You enjoyed that? Yeah, I did. Pseudo-obsessive stuff.
1: Compiling Linux
0: um, I thought it was going to be a sysadmin, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and my first job was like a computer support type thing where I was in charge of making sure everyone's machines worked okay and then morphed into like looking after an email server, and then we had a web server, and then they said they wanted a different website, and that's yeah. when I discovered PHP and, and all that stuff. So to, to answer uh, Michael's question What's Fip? Mike, Michael, yeah, Fip. <laughs> Michael's question in a super roundabout way, um, uh, I have no idea. What I would be doing if I hadn't discovered computers. I had computers with me for so long; it was just such a natural and comfortable thing to be in front of a computer doing something. So, it just felt the, so good and natural. The, the 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 divergent future would have been if I would have been would have been if I hadn't gotten a computer. I don't know. Uh, I would imagine, uh, given my size, I would have been doing some type of physical labor. I probably would have done stuff like my dad. If I had been interested in computers, I probably would have gotten into roofing and just worked, got a job through him, and would have been like you know a roofer and, and doing stuff like that. Um,
1: well, you probably no, would have fought Sasquatch in a, in the ring, like so many other Canadians do.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, a really a rite of uh, you know a rite of passage for a Canadian roofer to fight yeah. to fight a Sasquatch yeah. in the rain. Yeah. So many stories about that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, it's just so that's he, so. Yeah. yeah,
0: I I have no idea. I I always I always joke that. Uh, if I had been born, like, uh, 200 years earlier, uh, I probably would have been, like, a blacksmith or something because I always like to tinker and do stuff like that. But the reality is I probably would have – I think I probably would have, like, been, like uh, – A, a pressed, very lazy pr- blacksmith. Yes. Uh, I would have just been a, a farmer. <laughs> probably it would have happened. <laughs> or or I would have probably uh, ended up in the Army or something like that.
1: Oh, farmer, that's hard work.
0: Yeah. Oh, I know. A lazy farmer. Jesus. So yeah, sounds I mean, horrible, you know that's uh you know computing was a hobby that I was able to turn into a career, so yep. I just couldn't imagine just could not imagine doing anything else it would, it seemed so natural, it was never a struggle. I never felt like it was I never felt like it was the wrong thing to do. I never felt like going into um into c- computers using it for a living was a mistake.
1: Have you ever thought about though if uh maybe you hadn't gotten into computers, maybe um Maybe Hitler would have been killed in, like, 38.
0: Uh, given that I wasn't around back then, I don't know. It's a hard thing to say.
1: Is that how the butterfly effect works?
0: Uh, yes. The, well, I guess that is. The, no, that's like that famous Ray Bradbury story, A Sound of Thunder. For mm-hmm. those who don't know, can we talk about it real quick?
1: Sure. Yeah. So the Sound of Thunder. Is <laughs> What's kind of, stopping us?
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah no no Emily never there's ne- I I don't have exit plans for anything um
1: why 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 look back when you can just go forward? you have you no don't you have your run bag I the don't, one that you ha- you just keep packed and it's no, like no, you no, have no. To be no 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 the, the government will provide hour. you
0: with a run bag it's part of like the whole socialized medicine oh, thing you that's never nice. have to
1: worry oh that's great
0: every household has a run bag uh yeah,
1: okay because cool. you
0: never know when the Americans are coming
1: so yeah that's a good point.
0: Uh, so A Sound of Thunder yes so it's a very famous Ray Bradbury uh, short story about time travel. And so it starts off, as all technologies do, being uh, a plaything for rich people. So in the story, there's like a company that has a time machine and they send people into the past uh, on hunting safaris,
1: right? Sounds, that, that sounds exactly how it would get used. Oh,
0: I, I imagine that's exactly... But they, but what they do is they, they realize that there's a cha- real chance that they could, like, fuck up the timeline. So in this particular fictional universe... Uh, time travel is possible. And if you change things in the past, uh, you can mess
1: up the future. So what yeah, but they, who would know? It yeah. would just be immediate.
0: Well, yeah, I think but I think though, there's something to do with the time travel. They take snapshots and stuff. They have a way of figuring out what's changed. Uh, oh, it's so been a long time. It's been a long time since I read the story, so I'll probably have to go back and read it. so mm-hmm. they they let these people go back and do things like hunt dinosaurs. but they pick animals who are going to die. Anyway, um, so they dial people back in time to like just before this particular animal would die. So they have the – they and all these locations that they go to, they put in these raised platforms and they say, um, stay on this platform. Don't yep. step off the platform for right. any reason because uh, they tell them there's a chance you could alter time. So, of course, I look at this and say if anything you do in the past alters time, wouldn't killing this animal in the past alter time because it's dying a fraction of a second before it's supposed to? I
1: mean, well, that, yeah. It seems like, like right? I mean, how close are you going to kill it before it would have died anyway? I yes, mean, yes. like if it's just like 10 minutes sooner, then yeah. something could have happened. Like something, some other dinosaur didn't get to eat it or something. I yeah. don't know, man. I just feel so, for you. But, so.
0: There are protagonists of the story goes back in the time he's on the hunt. He confronted with the T-Rex that they're hunting and he like, and like he panics Uh and steps off the path. And so everyone's like, Oh my God, you stepped off the path. You're not supposed to do that quick. Get over here. So they get back in and they like, we have to go see if we can fix this. So they like hustle everybody back into like the time machine and they go back. And so they find out when he's the dude's looking at his boots uh, and he finds out that he crushed, uh, pre- crushed and killed a prehistoric butterfly. And when they yep. and when they get back to the present, that altered the future enough that uh, a different government took over, a more fascist and authoritarian one. And time travel has been outlawed. So when they come back at the end of the story, they're all getting oh. they're all getting arrested for uh, unauthorized time travel.
1: Well, that's a feel good kind of
0: yes. This is my complete recollection of the story, having not read it in, like, probably 30 years. Uh, So I'll have to go back and and read it to verify all those points. I do believe there's – I know there's been – I think there's been at least one, like, little short film
1: based on it. Oh, Um, yeah. There's a movie called Mac and Me. It was based on that.
0: It was not. (laughs) Get out of here, buddy. All right. So – Yes. No. I could never imagine doing anything other than computers. So at, at no time did I look at it and and have to like make a choice and say I'm going to commit to X because like when I like when I went outside of doing computers it was horrible and it looked like it was going to be years and years before anything good could happen and computers seem to offer this is this is during the first uh, bubble computers look like they could offer a way to advance quickly and do very interesting things at the same time. So I was like, yep, I'm all in on computers. Let's do this.
1: So I uh I had a lot of I had a lot of plans that involved computers, but I might not have been a programmer. Um and I really only learned programming because I wanted to do certain things. And the what what happened was that I had I had used computers a lot and found them very interesting as a kid. And but I didn't do any programming. I only sort of knew how to set them up and things like that. I knew a lot of how to do stuff with computers. I didn't necessarily know how to say make new applications for computers. And so I uh, I started doing fanzines when I was a kid. And the first few I actually did on a typewriter. And then I started doing them on a PC. Uh, originally, first with a 9-pin dot matrix printer. And then with some slightly nicer stuff. Uh, that... Uh, I, th- I think some kind of inkjet printer anyway, um, I started doing, you know, originally I was using word then I started using desktop publishing software and things like that. And I got into doing stuff like that. And I kind of got into graphic design and illustr, not, not illustration, not illustration. That's the big difference is that I was, a, I was a graphic designer maybe, but not an illustrator. Uh, And I got into layout and stuff like that. I was interested in that stuff, and so that was probably kind of what I was focused on more. I actually got my degree in English in college. Um, I got a minor in computer science, but I was bad at it. Like I thought computers were interesting, and I enjoyed using them, and a lot of fun with them. I was I programming did not click with me. Uh, for the most part didn't really understand it exactly just like it didn't click it didn't click and so but what did click is I taught myself how to do html and then graphic stuff related to web stuff Um, and I taught that all to myself because in 1995 and 6 there were no classes that you could take you taught yourself how to do that stuff so, I learned HTML and graphic design for the web. And then when CSS came along, I did some CSS stuff and got into that. But I, my first job, well, the first job I had was a support person at an ISP, a dial up ISP. But the first, like what I call post school job I got, proper job, was being an HTML and designer guy for web pages. Um, did not do any programming. And it was somebody who introduced me to PHP in trying to figure something out and me trying to figure out how to do a certain thing and and uh where I remember I built I built something and I think I used JavaScript for it uh to take like form inputs and then figure stuff out. And and it was like I knew enough about programming to do that, but then I couldn't figure out how to save the state because there really wasn't a way to save the state because I didn't have any server-side stuff and browsers didn't have like local storage that I knew how to store things. I guess you could have stored it in a cookie as long as everything could fit in 4K, but that was about it. And so somebody was talking about PHP, and I, I decided I would re-implement it in PHP, writing it on the server side. And that would give me a, you know, how to store stuff, uh, you know, save the state of the application. And that is how I started programming. And everything since then has been me just figuring out how to do stuff that needed to get done. And I didn't have a plan or any of that. I just kind of fell into it. I've never had a career plan. I've never any of that stuff. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't have a career plan. You should probably try better, harder than I did. Uh, but I never had a career plan for anything. Um, there are other things that I could have ended up doing that, like, I got I got a degree in English with a writing concentration. Uh, it turned out I didn't actually enjoy writing that much. I'm not terrible at it, and I'm not bad at it, but it's not something I like fabulously enjoy doing. Um, Maybe if I made myself do it all the time, but I have constant struggles with uh, with motivating myself to do it, and I just think that it's not something that I really enjoy. I I found from doing fanzines that I liked the visual aspects and creating things a visual far, far more than, than the writing. I could do the writing. I really liked the layout way more. I actually enjoyed that. Um, and so I, it's possible though. I mean, I was getting a degree and was thinking about and, and actually even did some freelance writing uh, for some other, like for some music stuff and also for some video game stuff, uh, even in some a few national magazines like mm-hmm. video game magazines uh, when I was young, uh, 17, 18, 19, 20. Uh, but I, you know, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't great at it first off. And then also I just was not, uh, uh-huh. I think it was, it just wasn't something I was sort of passionate about. I wasn't super productive with it or prolific. Uh and so that made that kind of tough. Um I probably if there was any money to be made in it, I might have ended up being a musician like a like write my own music and release my own music stuff, but there is I just even then it was very hard to do and it is now basically impossible, particularly if you don't want to play live. Uh, for a musician to make money, I don't know. A, I don't money I don't know. If about you don't that. want to make, if you, it is incredibly difficult if you do not want to be a live performer. I now, I could have gotten into something like maybe I could have written for soundtracks or something like for TV shows or thing. I guess I could have, but also I was all self-taught and kind of just like dicking around and like making my own stuff. So it I, that that I don't think would have ever been a, 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 a reasonable. Uh, Career path for me because I wasn't sort of passionate about learning about, you know, like how to write in different styles and things like that. But it is definitely I think I definitely could have ended up just being a like graphic designer slash layout person, that kind of thing for. uh, And so I would use computers a lot, but I wouldn't necessarily I probably wouldn't have been a programmer. Uh, I think that is a distinct possibility. I think that is the closest thing I could have come to. I still put out mu- like music, like I talk about. I just don't think that I. I don't think there is much of a market. I, I think it's very difficult to make money being a musician. Um. Yeah, particularly just like somebody who likes to make you know stuff at home. It's you are probably about as well off being like I am going to be a painter. Like you are going to be poor and not make any money doing that. Uh, and you're probably going to have to like teach painting classes and stuff like that to supplement your income to just get by, uh, which is okay. There's nothing, there's no shame or anything wrong with that. I just don't, uh, that just uh, isn't what I was going to do. So uh, I kind of ended up where I guess I was supposed to be, you know, I don't know. Uh, but it, it, it was never, I never sort of, I sort of just fell into it. Um,
0: I think that's how it is with most people though.
1: Yeah, I kind of think so too. I think a lot of people kind of fall into it. I think there, I think there are more people who make a conscious decision, um, now to sort of maybe decide to do that. Like particularly if I'm thinking about web development or something like that, it's different than when I started doing it, because when I started doing it, like you had to learn yourself how to do that. There were no classes for it. And now there are lots of options to be like, "Uh, this is what I'm choosing to do as a career. You know, that's kind of different. So,
0: yeah, yeah. I I would say I've been like more deliberate and calculating about stuff like later in my career, but I, but I never sat down before I got into, you know, getting paid to, to pound away at a keyboard. Um, never made those type of things. It's just once I got into it and discovered the things that I, that I was good at and the things that I wasn't good at, and then started formulating the, the plan that I've talked about the few times I've been allowed to speak about my career. Um, I've talked about that sort of progression, how I decided I wanted to do this and then do X and then Y and and just keep going and progressing and always, always building on what I did before. But in terms of like being really cold and calculated about, like I am going to do computer as a career and I'm going to, this is going to be year one and this will be year two and this will be year four and year five. No, no, it's, it's you you, uh, you take things as they come and uh, I'm always, a, I talk to my kids about this, how I always feel it's like important to, to have as many skills as possible so that uh, you are able to take advantage of opportunities that come to you. You know, I've talked this about this before about the concept of luck. To me, many times luck is just simply, you had the skills to take advantage of the opportunity that was presented to you. And sometimes those skills are actual, like skill in doing something. Some of that skill was you were, uh, you know, you were fortunate enough to have networked with the right people. And this, this actually flows into our our next question that we got, but yes, thank you, uh, Mr. Drinda for your, for your awesome uh, questions. Um, Yeah. For me, it was all, it was going to be computers all the way. It's just a fate. I'm a big big believer in fate, and fate just kept pushing me in that direction. Play with this thing, do this, do that, all that stuff. Never a doubt. I was going to be an internet superstar from day one.
1: Superstar, superstar. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, that does kind of go into our next question, which was um, from Emily Stamey, uh, and she says, "I've been thinking about your comments." couple of shows back when you were talking about the privilege of not having to send resumes for jobs anymore. That's true. What would you recommend for someone to get toward or near that point? Question mark. I know networking is a big part of it, but it seems like there's something else to it. Uh, You become an internet superstar. I think that's the answer.
0: Yes, that's, that's the glib uh, answer. You become a superstar, but, uh, How do so the so I guess if I were to summarize the question a little bit, it's like how do you get what do we feel it takes to get to the point where when you uh, need a job, you it that it it becomes very easy to do so. So let's Mm -hmm. so let's let's talk about it from my perspective first. So this is an off quoted thing that I've said and it's one hundred percent true. Uh, the longest I have been uh, voluntarily uh, unemployed since um, September 11th, 2001 is uh, is a week. So this is not to say that I have had gaps in my employment history uh, between jobs. But in terms of like I did not have a say in me leaving that job, uh, the longest has been one week. So how did I end up doing that? Well, it's, it's, it's complicated. I think if we look at it in terms of there's a whole bunch of things at play, I think a big part of it is um, is willingness to network and talk to lots and lots of people. You make all these uh, random connections with people, um, but you discover over time, and Ed, maybe you can uh, tell me if you agree with this or not. Over time, you discover that what you think is actually a very big community is actually a very small one. And so you discover that you make connections with people who are doing similar things at the same time. You keep running into them, uh, whether it's like actual, like physically or online. So I started making contacts with people and I spent a lot of time and we kind of joked about this before. Yes, a lot of time about, about bragging about things. And by bragging, I mean like where you are more than willing to talk about the things that you've done and the things that you want to do. Uh, And that way you draw your, your, what you're kind of looking to to do is like get people get involved in a circle of people who are kind of doing the same things as you and interested in the same things as you. And then once you make connections with those people, then you have the next level thing where, where you are uh, leveraging a combination of privilege plus uh, actual skills to prove your worth, to say to this group of people, yes, I do these things too, and I'm really good at it, and here's all the ways that I've been good at it in the past, and here are all the ways I want to be good at it in the future. So it, for me, it was um, building up the, 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 the kind of inevitable buildup of the brand, the thing that ended up being Grumpy Learning. I realized after thinking about this for a while, um, not just today, but that, that grumpy learning becoming a thing, it was inevitable that something like this was going to happen, that I would have an outlet on the side that would be a way to propel my professional career even more forward. Because there's like there's this idea of like programming as a job and programming as a career. Lots and lots of people do programming as a job. And you know what? That's cool. Programming is quite lucrative compared to other uh, jobs. It's it's not as physically demanding as a lot of jobs. I look at my father as a, who was a roofer for many, many years. Um, he's 80 years old now. He's in, he's in a lot of physical pain, just from the wear and tear that he did to his body working, right? Uh, when I'm 80, I probably won't be anywhere near that type of physical pain and wear and tear on my system. I get paid to use my brain instead of having to use my brawn, which is awesome. Programming is very lucrative it's it's good money it's it's good money compa- it's and it's easy money compared to like a lot of other jobs where you will actually work hard and you will actually work super long hours i don't work a ton of hours i work hard in small bursts of time to do the things that i need to do and then i then i can actually relax and do other parts of my job that aren't so intense um very very different from other people's uh, experiences as a programmer. I just made the effort that I wanted to treat programming as a career. So with go, if you go backwards from that, the only way you do programming as a career is that you have to be willing to talk about the things you know, the things you don't know, and your plans to learn more stuff. And that's all rolled into like, you have to network, get to know people, not be afraid to, you know, not actually not be afraid is the wrong word to say. Be able to be in a position that you can leave a job when it sucks. A lot of people can't. I've always been very fortunate that I can. So you make these connections. You network. You talk to your peers. You start giving presentations to your peers. And pretty soon, you get to a point where your reputation becomes your resume. So you no longer need to sit down and update a resume and say, I worked at this place for this length of time and did these things you have uh, a body of work that you can easily point to because you've been tracking what you've been doing over time via blogging and conference talks and all these things, that that whole thing becomes a much more impactful resume than a three- or four-page CV that lists in order all the things that you've done um, for the companies that you've worked for. So that's that's how I got to the point where when I take a job – I, I usually I only have to submit a resume for like HR purposes, right? Because, you know, the company, we need a copy of your resume. So I'll update it. But the thing is, it's not the resume that got me the job. It's the body of work that I was able to show and prove that, yes, for this thing that you want me to do and that I am interested in doing, I have, I have like you look at the testing thing, I have 10 years of proof that this is something that, I know how to do and that my peers have recognized that I know how to do this as well. Because if I wasn't good at doing this sort of thing, I wouldn't be able to keep doing this sort of stuff. I would not keep getting asked to submit to conferences. I would not keep getting jobs where people like, I've heard so many good things about you. So um, uh, so yeah, like instead of my, my resume is 10 years worth of me talking about the things that i'm very interested and enthusiastic about so uh um emily asked so so no more weed out um interview questions i'm not sure what is meant by that i just think like it's my resume is all the work that i've done that's how i kind of feel at this point so my reputation is the thing that gets me into the door and the reputation is also kind of like the first screen for a lot of places where Every company has its own way of like filtering out candidates. My reputation for having done this sort of stuff for a very long time gets me past a lot of those things and gives me uh, a much different opportunity to convince people um, why they should hire me to do stuff for them. The Mozilla thing was very, very weird, right? I had known uh, Laura Thompson for a very long time in terms of like internet time, 2007, 2008. So almost 10 years ago, I first met her. So uh, Laura had kept an eye on me over all those years because I had said to her, anything ever comes up, consider me. So in that case, I had a champion there because I had stayed in touch with these people and watched where they went and paid attention. Yes, it's a lot of work sitting here on Twitter, watching people, what they're doing. And I do keep track of where people are and what they're doing. Uh, because some because many times these people are are friends that I've made over the time and people who are doing interesting work I keep an eye on. So this is why I'm on Twitter and watching people do stuff and talking to people. Because you never know when you get an opportunity to say, Hey, you know, Ed, I see you're doing this cool stuff at Graph Story, and Graph Story has blown the fuck up and it's going good. Sounds like you finally have a need for somebody like me. Do you have anything? These are kind of like how my past job Conversations have gone for the last, I would say, uh, four or five years now where I very rarely have to like apply, submit a resume because I worked so hard to build up. It sounds so egocentric and it it is very much egocentric where I built up the brand of Chris Hurches that when people think of me, they associate me with certain skills and certain accomplishments. Right. So that becomes my resume instead of a piece of paper that I attach to an email. To me, that's, to me, that's the best explanation I can give of how do you get to the point where getting jobs uh, is so easy that you don't have to worry about submitting resumes and fighting through people's filters.
1: Yeah. um, I think, I think that's, uh, I think the, the thing is at the end of the day, it's, Getting to the point where people, again, know you by reputation, either by reputation or by personal interaction. And they're much more likely to not feel the need to vet you because they feel like they don't need to because they've already vetted you one way or another by knowing you. Um, So... Things like weed out questions in in interviews where they ask you, like, how do you, you know, find an item in an array or, you know, or, or some sort of algorithmic stuff or things like that. It's a it's a cheap way of weeding out people so that they don't bring they don't accidentally hire somebody who has no idea what they're doing. Um so that's and 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 the resume and you know you can write down whatever you want on a resume so you can't just trust that. Um, so the but the resume is I mean there's a couple of things you'd say. Warren, first off, um, yeah, you probably should kind of keep your resume up to date because there's new people you're always going to interact with. There might be people who look at LinkedIn or whatever. I don't I don't like keep a copy of a PDF copy up to date, but I do keep it you know my at least my job history up to date um but i haven't had much need to uh to sort to like cold uh get stuff it's if you blog and you publish and you talk to people and you do stuff man it was not my plan i had no plan to like that this was going to benefit my career, I just like getting in front of people and yapping about stuff. Um, it turns out that that's actually very helpful for your career, uh, but that was not my intent. Uh, and for a long time, I was quite I was quite content uh, at the gig I had, so I wasn't like really job searching. I didn't change my job once I got to Purdue for almost ten years. Um, And since then, I haven't, since the job I, uh, since I joined Purdue, I have not had to give anybody a resume to get a new gig. Um, And I have avoided any kind of these, you know, jump through the hoops questions. But partly it's probably because I also uh, have gotten opportunities to choose where I want to work. Uh, I've worked a lot of remote stuff. I've worked a lot of it based on reputation and people who know me say, Hey, you should talk to this person and they don't, we end up not having, I want to have a conversation with you. I want to get to know you, but I just don't, you know, I don't, I don't find those kinds of interviews where they're asking me stuff about, uh, you know, uh, a sort of specific, like a technical quiz kind of thing. I don't think that's particularly useful. Uh, And I find it unpleasant.
0: Yeah, I, I add also to interject a little bit too, I think also yeah. a, a, another way, like a, another thing to realize as you go forward to when when your skill level gets up to a certain point and you've been able to prove that skill level, you should be able to apply for jobs where they're not going to do be doing these type of weed out things. Like if you find yourself in a position where you're constantly having to apply for the kind of like junior... And entry level positions and organizations, yeah, they're going to use those type of show me how to implement a linked list in PHP and, and other stuff. But the thing should be like it's uh, I don't know it's like it's like a weird combination of like proof of all your skills plus a healthy ego plus. Uh, the confidence that belongs to mediocre white men to like apply for a job like, no, I want to do this job. And instead of looking at saying instead of saying, oh, I'm not qualified for that job. Instead, you say, I want to do this job and let me figure out how I can get to do this job. So the type of positions that at this point in our careers that you and I are like interested in doing, there is absolutely none of this. Uh, I will stand in front of you and prove my worth stuff going on. It's just it's just I'm not gonna stand for it. and I'm sure wherever you know, if the graph story thing doesn't work out or whatever changes, like I'm sure you're not gonna sit there and stand in front of a whiteboard and prove something that is either irre- irrelevant or that you already know how to do. So I
1: ain't uh, got time for that. Yeah, and like I,
0: I, 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 I don't know how to to give Emily proper advice on that part because it's very, very weird because it has been so long since I've had to do that sort of thing that I no longer even think about that as being like a requirement when I'm interested in working somewhere. I just find out who do I need to talk to about this position and then state my case that I am eminently qualified because of this and point to all the stuff that I've done. I've done like summaries for people. I did a very good letter for a position one time saying why you should hire me. And that was the letter that I sent. This is like maybe 6 7 years ago. And yeah. I sent that letter and the person said, "Wow," I said, "We don't have anything that I think uh would be like a challenge for you to do." And and they're like, "This is like one of the best letters I've ever gotten from somebody about why uh we should hire you. I said, I'm going to keep this letter on file. If anything ever comes up that we think is a good fit, we'll let you know. And I think I have the letter still kicking around here somewhere. But but to me, that was kind of like the point where I said, yes, this approach that I am trying to do for finding jobs, I think it finally works. I finally figured out, you know, through all trial and error, how to put it all together and present that case where you, you, you what you want is what Ed talked about connections. And you want to be when someone, when someone says, Hey, I need somebody, to, I need somebody to do X. You want to be the person that immediately springs to people's mind through like that, you know, six degrees of separation type thing where I'm looking for somebody that does X. And then a friend of theirs goes, a friend of theirs goes, Oh, I know who's really good at that. You need to talk to Ed or you need to talk to Chris or whatever it is. That's, I, Emily, I don't know that there's like a definite point where you can look at it and say, these are the things that if I do this one thing, I'll finally get out of this trap of of weed out questions and constantly, constantly having to prove myself over and over again to people to get to do the things that I want. I can only talk about my own experiences where I built a very large body of work and rather than do this kind of weed out thing, I would just point out and say, Look at all the things that I've done, and you decide for yourself if you think, if you think that everything I've done uh, qualifies me to do this position.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think it, it's t- it's tough to define that, and it's hard because I think we've been lucky too. We've had a lot of options that some people might not have. Oh, uh, for,
0: for sure, for sure. I, look I mean, at, shit, no.
1: it's gonna it's gonna be harder. It's gonna be harder for a lot of people than it was for me where I basically bumbled my way through it, you know?
0: (laughs) I mean, I look, I look at me, the, I mean, I think the number one factor that I had going for me is I, uh, that I live in a, uh, very large metropolitan area. So there were always, um, lots of jobs doing PHP work. So it was never a case of me. If I decided this PHP job, wasn't what I wanted. Uh, That I wasn't going to be like, man, this is the only place in town uh, doing it. So, I mean, um, for me, I think that was the big thing that I always had lots of choices. But then I think for me, uh, I think the number one thing that really expanded was once I could find remote stuff, then it didn't matter. Mm. But it took a while to be able to convince people that uh, I could be a remote worker and that I would get all the stuff done. And again, that was just a similar type of thing—just me pointing at the body work saying, "I can do all this stuff. Look at all this stuff I did on my own. What makes you think that I need a supervisor looking over my shoulder to get shit done? Like, are are not all these blog posts and conference talks and all this stuff—is that not proof enough that I'm like self-motivated to do work and I can? Oh, do- you're
1: not entertained.
0: Yeah, no, not, not entertained. No, no, that's that's a different thing. Uh, no, but I'm just, a, but just the idea that look, the, here's all the proof that I can do this job. Uh, and it's up to you to decide whether you think that's proof or not. So, word. So, so Emily, all I can say is, uh, it requires a certain level of ego that not everybody has, and it has to, and you have to be willing to share share a lot of what you've done. And if you feel uncomfortable, lots and lots of people are uncomfortable with talking about themselves and, yeah. their, and their accomplishments. This is, I mean, I don't think there's any denying this. My personal opinion. Is that to turn programming into a very long and satisfying um, career, you have to be you have to be willing to talk about the things that you've done. It doesn't have to be bragging. It doesn't have to be ultra aggressive. It doesn't have to be technique X sucks. You should do Y. No, it has to be a willing for you to constantly be saying, hey, check out this thing that I did. I'm going to talk about it briefly and then I'm going to move on to the next task. And then, oh, look at this thing that I did. And you, again, you talk about it. you need to build up that proof. That body of work, instead of the two-page resume, you need the uh, three-hundred-page summary of all the awesomeness that you've done. That's for me. That was the thing that got me to the point where I am now. And again, if you're if you're uncomfortable talking about yourself and your accomplishments, I think it's going to be really, really. I think it would be really tough to duplicate the success that I've had getting to the position where where being involuntarily unemployed is like it just just doesn't happen anymore fortunately for me. So, I know that's kind of a lot of a lot of stuff to unpack there, but I think it starts off with a little bit higher level of confidence and a willingness a willingness to talk about what you've done and to say to people this is proof. Yep. So, I don't know, man. I don't know what else I can add.
1: I think it's a uh, man, I'd put a bow on it. Put a bow on
0: that. I'm just having a drink while we talk here.
1: All right. Well, I kind of feel like we're uh, we're doing pretty good here. I think we got a nice little uh, program.
0: I think so, too. Before we go, any other quick questions in chat? Because maybe something we can answer, like, real, real quick.
1: Yeah, I don't know, Ed. I,
0: I feel like we definitely, like, we came along at the right time when things were a little bit easier. Um we a lot more open opportunities to do stuff. Um, yeah, yeah I can see that. I, I, yeah. it, it seems different now. Uh, at the same time, I think I think the big difference I see now, and we'll wrap this up in a couple minutes. I think the big difference now, if you look at the state of um, – we focus on web stuff because that's the stuff that both you and I know the best. Yeah, Your ability to build interesting web stuff uh, I think is um, – I think it's easier now. There are so many more tools to help you (coughs) go from idea to implementation so much quicker than what existed in the past. You look now in terms of, I think, just cloud computing is the hugest thing, the ability that you can build something pretty robust uh, that can withstand a lot of traffic um, a lot quicker than than you used to be able to pass. Just you have so many tools that kind of like – uh, the the thing now is that I think that the the, the scaffolding is a lot easier now. the new skill The new skill now is figuring out how to change the scaffolding when your problem does not is not a uh, is not a perfect fit for your tools. That's a skill people people needed to be able to in the past. People like you and me, and we learned how to build the scaffold because the tools weren't there. We had to learn how to build. All those underpinnings we had to learn how <clears throat> css worked and html and frameworks and how model view controller and databases and all that stuff we had to learn how to do all that stuff because there were no tools to help us shortcut it now yeah. a lot of that stuff is literally taken care of for you and you can i think the ability to it's, it's easier to solve problems now than it used to be because you know in many many cases you no longer have to worry about all those underpinnings. You look at you look at putting together a web app. Are there a lot of moving pieces? Absolutely, way more than when you and I first were like getting our skills developed. Oh, but yeah. but the tools to build shit there just the, the quality is so much better. Mm-hmm. And, and so much is done for you now that you we are almost at that utopia of like gluing shit together uh, in different languages to accomplish stuff you can really get to the point where the code that you are writing in whatever language of your choice is glue to bind things together.
1: Mm -hmm. You just got to think in Russian and the plane flies itself.
0: There you go. Firefox Mm -hmm. uh, comes back out of nowhere. Um, But, but yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's the advantage now. Like people can build stuff without, without really having to learn the underpinnings. And then they learn when they have to do something that doesn't fit when the problem they're trying to solve is not solvable in an easy way with the tools that they chose, and that's when they learn fundamentals of stuff. So they get to they get to learn the fundamentals later than we had to, and we just yep. look at and we look at it and sometimes get overwhelmed by choice. What do I use? Do I use React? Do I use this? What do I use here? What do I use there? What cloud provider do I need to use? All these other things because we were so used to rolling it ourselves and our options were so limited that we get and by we I mean like people of Ed and I's similar experience we get paralyzed by choice. Too many options. Too many uh, potential paths to go down. We need help simplifying things and building a common set of tools that we then go onwards and build with. hmm Well, so this has been Old Men Yelling About the Internet, episode number 87. Drinda!
1: <laughs> Drinda!
0: 87 times Ed Finkler and I have gotten together uh, to talk about a podcast and to think it might've gotten even worse uh, or happened even sooner. If Ed had agreed to loan me a set of uh, jumper cables to boost my car in a parking lot at a hotel in Chicago. So thanks everyone for listening. We'll have show notes up. Ed's getting really good at the turnaround time. So uh, quick shout out because I'm doing the closing stuff. Quick shout out to our sponsors, uh, Wonder Networks. Uh, I know literally any second now, Paul and his wonderful husband, husband, (laughs) a wonderful wife, Allison, are expecting their first child. Uh, The little panda is due like literally any moment. Uh, so maybe by the time you hear this, uh, they've had their child. Wonder Network has been a very, very long time supporter, providing us with the bandwidth to stream the live show that, like me, Ed and Michael and Emily are listening to. Uh, also, every th- uh, thank you to sponsor Ed with Open Sourcing Mental Illness. I am wearing mm-hmm. Ed's hoodie. Uh, Yay! Uh, as I talk, it is so comfortable and so nice and warm. Uh, when you run into me at a conference. Uh, where the weather is a little bit uh, cooler, I will definitely be wearing one. In terms of conferences, I am. I will be at um, uh, PHP Benelux later this week, uh, and then the week after that, both Ed and I will be in sunny Miami, Florida, hanging out uh, and talking about PHP stuff at Sunshine PHP. Woo! Yep. Uh, so yeah, so go support Ed's efforts with uh, with OSMI OSMI helporg Is that correct? no
1: dash Jesus? No dash OSMI Just help. OSMI help.
0: Maybe you should own OSMI. Uh, dash help and just redirect it. So I, I didn't, I, see, I, I don't I need that,
1: to overcomplicate right. things like you
0: You're such an asshole.
1: And now
0: uh, oh, you derailed me for a second. Oh yes. And grumpy learning, please go look at grumpy learning yes. and grumpy dash learning.com. Cause I went through the effort to overcomplicate it. Two books mm-hmm. uh, drip course coming soon. I have to record all the videos. Uh, I appreciate the support of everybody over the years, buying sure. my books um, and helping me build uh, what has turned out to be a pretty awesome career. Uh, you can find every single episode of this podcast that we've done at devhell.info. Uh, these days I do up the notes. I pick the title. I write some uh, text ed edits it and ed always finds an incredibly suitable um, uh, piece of art to attach to the episodes. Uh, you can also listen to us on iTunes. If you do, please write the podcast, let us know uh, what we're doing well and what we're not doing or what we're not doing so well. So we can continue to ignore your feedback. Uh, you, can find, you can find us on Twitter at dev underscore hell. You can find me on Twitter as grumpy programmer without a U. You can find Eddis Funkatron with a U. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll
1: talk to you soon. Good night, Internet.